It's that time of week, the time you've been waiting for. It's time for Goat Gab, a weekly podcast about all things in the dairy goat industry. Sit back and enjoy an hour or so with your hosts, Laura Warren Hughes and Cameron Jedlowski, as we talk about ideas and topics that matter to the dairy goat world. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Goat Gab. I'm stumbling on my words a little bit, but as always, this is one of your co-hosts, Laura Warren Hughes. And I'm the other co-host, Cameron Jodlowski. This week, we are joined by a very special guest, a friend of both of ours, and hopefully we'll be a friend of the program here at some point as well, Jason Peckham. Jason, how is the land of crabs, not the disease, but the food? (laughs) Maryland is doing well, I'm doing well, and I'm excited to be here with you guys. Jason, before we get started, do you want to introduce yourself and tell the listeners your uh, interest, let's go interesting, long history and and kind of your upbringing in the goat world? Sure. Um, So I'm Jason Beckham. I live in Maryland. Um, I raise Oberhostleys now. Um, And I kind of got into goats back when I was a teenager, um, back in the nineties. Um, and it, it's kind of an interesting little, I, I, um, had a crush on someone and she had goats and, um, I was like, I need to get goats so that, that maybe she'll like me. Um, and so I did, I got goats from her, her family. And um, then I realized how much I love them. And so I had goats for a while um, until I um, graduated high school. And then um, I went and worked uh, at One Oak Hill Farm in um, Wisconsin for a a little bit. Um, And then I traveled with Karen Lewis uh, with her business called Frozen Assets. And, um, while I was traveling with her, she was like, you need to go to college and get your degree and, and so that you can have your goats full time on your own. So I did that. I went back to, um, back home and did that and kind of sold my goats for a while. And it took a long time to save up the money to get my farm. But finally, um, about three years ago, um, I was able to buy a farm and, um, but throughout that whole time, I kind of just kept going to the national show every year and kind of went to local shows. Um, so I kind of stayed in contact with a lot of the goat community. Um, so it made that transition really easy to get back in when I got my farm. That is so cool. I did not, I didn't know any of that about you, Jason. Yeah. Wow, you you really ran the gamut of you know in titans of industry there between one oh kill in Wisconsin. That's that's actually pretty close to where I live now, and uh, and and obviously running the circuit with Karen Lewis out on the West Coast as well. That's crazy. I did this is I'm learning a lot about you, Jason. What else don't we know? Yeah, like well, working at working at Johns was a, a fantastic experience. I mean, I was only 18 when I did that, and um. I wish it was a little bit later in my life because I think I would have appreciated a lot more um, and learned a lot more. But while I was there, I I did learn a lot about 
just goat husbandry and, um, you know, how to be myself. And um, John was a great uh, little mentor in that aspect. And and I was very thankful for that. And then Karen, we, we that was fun that we got to travel around the whole country because we, we met up in uh, at the convention in um, Syracuse. And then I just traveled the entire country with her for about three and a half months. Um, so that was quite the experience. And, um, but, and I got to collect some really um, cool bucks. Uh, so that was kind of neat. Just wow. Wow. What, what a cool experience. Yeah, absolutely. There on that. Um, before we dive into the podcast there, Laura, we've got a big announcement for the listeners. We do have a big announcement. We are very excited to announce the results of our first um, Goat Gab Showmanship Circuit. So uh, we didn't have lots of entries, but we had some really great quality entries. Cameron, do you want to start out with our juniors? Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations to our uh, circuit junior winner, Evelyn Lund from the great state of Indiana. Uh, reserve grand champion was uh, Tanley Crooks. Third place was Amarose Hill. Fourth place was Evie's little brother, Logan Lund. And fifth place was Grant Hill. Congratulations to the juniors um, and our winner, Evie Lund, on that. Uh, Laura, who, what happened in the intermediate ones? So intermediate one um, our winner for that group was Reagan Arnie and Reagan actually had the most points of anybody in all of our um, entries in there. And then second place to Reagan was Winnie Duong. Yes. Uh, congratulations to our intermediate twos as well. First place was Abella Duong, our, uh, Winnie's sister. Uh, she is our grand champion in the intermediate twos there followed closely and very competitively by uh, Travis Arnie. Uh, third place was Hannah Early. Fourth place was Piper Crooks. Fifth place was uh, Addison Willie in Wisconsin. And we didn't have any senior entries in this. So um, anyway, thank you so much to all of our uh, entrants in this. And um, awards will be following soon. We'll get in touch with all of our um, winners and get shipping addresses from you and uh just thank you for your dedication to showmanship. I hope that this uh, has been a lot of fun for you and we'll, we'll let you know if we're planning to do something in 2024. So, yeah. And, and let us know as well, if, if you're interested in, you know, this continuing uh, really kind of disappointed by some of the participation. I would, I would say that. Um, however, doesn't take away from our winners as well. And we've got some really cool prizes, compliments of uh, Maple Wing Caprine and, um, uh, also my farm, Taylor Ridge farm. So we've got some really cool prizes. Yeah. So again, thank you guys so much for, uh, your entrance and, uh, we'll be in touch. Yeah, absolutely there. So, uh, let's kind of round table here. Jason, what is happening at your farm out in Maryland? Did you get any snow? We, well, we have zero snow right now. It's the, the temperatures have been very weird um, in the month of January. Uh, we did get one, uh, probably around four or five inches of snow um, one night. Um, and uh, it pretty much closed down schools, which was, you know, great because I had a day off. But um, the I, for the most part, no, no snow. But it's pretty quiet around here right now, other than I'm just starting out kidding and um, season. And so... 
you know, my milkation is over and now we're starting back up. Gotcha. And how many, how many have freshened? How many kids are on the ground? So I have two that are freshened, but I'm, I'm milking three right now because one, one of mine aborted, um, in December and I was still milking her. Um, and so I just was like, I'm just going to keep her in milk until I decide if I'm going to rebreed her or let her just do a extended lactation. And, um, I have four kids on the ground range, three does and a buck. How long do chores take? Uh, chores take about 45 minutes. It, it depends. Cause in the mornings, um, I'm just milking the three. So it's, it's a lot easier in the mornings. Um, cause I'm just putting out hay and then feeding the babies. Um, in the evenings I give grain to all of the, the, um, milkers, uh, or well, the upcoming milkers on the stand. So that takes a little bit longer. So in the evenings, it's probably around an hour to do chores. Gotcha. A little bit of a, little bit of a little longer compared to some of those winter times, huh? Yeah. I, I, I love when it's, uh, you know, I don't have anybody and it's just, okay, here's your hay and here's your water. Okay. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Hey, Jason. Are you are you a football fan? I uh, I mean I follow football, but I'm more of a college basketball fan. But I do follow football. I'm sorry for the Ravens. Yeah. Well, you know, they had. I I feel like they had the opportunities, but the coaching was lacking in that game, and you know. Yeah, I I, I agree. I, so you know, I'm a blatant Chiefs fan, and. You know, I, I'm glad that we won, but I sure wasn't very confident going into that game. So it could have gone either way. So anyway, the Ravens had one. They had a heck of a season. I mean, it was impressive to watch. It, it was impressive, though, to see Lamar make a pass to himself. I know. That was like totally cool. That, that was, was really, that was cool. Yeah, I agree. So, Jason, do you get your love from college basketball from your beloved University of Maryland, Baltimore County School, or where, where, where's the love of college basketball? Come from? Oh, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am a St. Bonaventure Bonnie fan, and I, I, that's the college that I went to. Cool. And they, that's, you know, I follow them. I, they're a little school, so, you know, but they have a, an amazing coach. And, um, he, he's really good at recruiting. So they, 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 they hold their own in the Atlantic 10 and, and I appreciate that. So I, I always appreciate the Bonnies as a decent bracket buster. So yes. I, I appreciate the Bonnies as well. Yes. I, I also am a college, college basketball fan and my wife doesn't understand why I scream at the TV when I watch the whack, but, uh, she'll learn eventually. Well, and the whack is pretty good this year. So I, I do like the whack, but that's not what we're talking about here today. I know. I'm like, is this a different podcast today? <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Just had to had to throw that in there a little bit, guys. I, I mean, I love it, Cameron. What's going on at your farm? You've you've been busy doing a lot of cool stuff around there. Sure, let's go with that. Um, no, we uh picked up a new <laughs> calf hutch, which we're going to use to. Kid babies out, or not kid, keep babies in this kind of a warming box there on that. 
Um, year one of heating out loads to year two is very different. Uh, I feel just kind of a little more prepared. You're never really prepared, but um, really prepping for that is we'll start heating here in about a week. And um, so we did that. And then we, um, uh, let's see here, what else have we done? I feel like we've done a lot here. We've, we're done breeding goats. That's exciting, officially. Uh, and we're going to have probably the shortest kidding season on record, which is kind of nice. It's only going to be three months. So we're I'm, we're officially putting a cap on that. We, um, I'm trying to think here. I didn't even write notes here. We put up our camera system. We have our new cameras in place here. And when this comes out, all five of them will be online. Uh, so we can figure out who let the goats out whenever they get out. So we're really excited about that. Today it was my wife. Uh, the other day it was me, and uh, so we're one we're one to one tied right now. And then um, we did our bikini trims, as we call them, on that uh, today. Um, and then we've got to finish out uh, giving shots. Where I, I just came in halfway through our big day in order to come in and um, record the podcast. And then my favorite thing I did today. And Jason, I don't know if you saw this on Snapchat. And Laura, I talked to you about it as well, is I measured my goats today with a tape measure. And? You know, uh, ever growing up, we I was always told by my dad, and we always had our kids out in a different pen. And then we're like, oh, don't look at them. Like, don't think they're big. Don't think they're small. Like, you just think they're small. Like, you just think your yearlings are small from the previous year. And it happens to everybody. And you're like, oh, they're so tiny. They're so small. Um. And so my wife kept saying that. My wife kept saying that. And I really wanted to validate if they were small or not. So I took a, a tape measure and I tape measured all of my goats as the withers and measured, tried to be fairly consistent. And my yearlings are not small. Um, my smallest goat, much to everybody's surprise, is Cabo. <laughs> um, and she's about 24 and a half, 25 inches at the withers. However, my biggest goat is 32 and a half inches at the withers. So my, my goats aren't small. I will tell you that my yearlings aren't small. That's yeah. I, every year when I look at the yearlings, they're about ready to kid. I'm thinking, Oh, these are babies having babies. They just, they don't look big enough. But then you walk into the show ring at the first show and you're like, eh, they're not too bad. They kind of match up with everybody that, Every year, though, you're right. I think, Jason, do you go through that, too? Yeah, I actually was just, I, I was talking with Cameron earlier about that. I was like, I feel like mine are so tiny. And, but then I, I put them on the stand with, like, a two-year-old. And, you know, yeah, they're smaller than the two-year-old, but they're not that much smaller. And I'm like, okay, maybe they're not, but they still look so little. Yeah. 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 That's, and I, I just, you know, if you, if goat people, if you think your yearlings are small, put them next to the stand of a, of a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, and see if they're small. They're probably not as small as you think. No, they just look immature. That, that is correct. And they don't have that pretty body. They just, they look like teenagers. Well, and they still, and they still have that baby face, you know, they mm -hmm. haven't grown into their muzzle completely. Yes. So. Yes. That's, that's very true. So that's that's what I did today there, and I have a whole sample set of data. I don't think I'll ever do it again because I kind of know now, but I, but it made me feel better about myself. Uh, Cameron, what what um, cameras did you put up? Like, what brand did you buy? Yeah, so we got some Lorax cameras. 
Um, okay. And you can find them on Amazon. And those cameras are, we have Wi-Fi in the barn. So uh, when we were building our barn, we, we, at one point we trenched in water from the house. But we also, on top of the water is our internet cable, is an ethernet cable that runs directly from the house to the barn. That's so, what I need. Um, yes. Uh, we had two tre- we had two trenchers out there in order to do all that and put all that back in. So um, it's it's really nice. I will tell you that. And we can then, you know, if we ever if we ever build out the milking room and want to put a TV in there, that's really important as well. Uh, <laughs> um, the the you know we have Wi-Fi out there for anybody that would need it or anything, and then uh, then the cameras go right to the internet as well. And so when I we get done with this podcast, I'll have to finish up that of hammering all of those cords into the to the walls and uh, make sure that there there's not a whole bunch of cords just running around um, easily able to fall out of my barn ceiling that is so cool yeah that is really cool. yeah yeah so we got five cameras we always kind of know what's going on as well and it's not like we're there to like spy on our chore help if we're not around or like anything it's really just for like kidding season and whatnot but you know well yeah now, that's what i mean I need to, I don't have cameras in my barn um, and cameras would make it so much easier. So I didn't have to wake up every hour to go out to check on a doe. Like I did, like I did yesterday, or well, yeah, yesterday morning at, you know, two, one, three, all those hours. And did she kid at those times or did she kid in the morning? She, she kidded at three fifteen. Oh. So it was a long day yesterday, you know, cause I, I finished, she didn't, and she didn't have her second kid until five fifteen, And so I had to hurry and get them done so I could get to work. Cause my work is an hour away or well, 45 to an hour away. Well, Hey, at least they didn't do it like during the school day. That was, that was courteous at least. Right. <laughs> but, but, but why can't she do it like at five thirty when I'm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Oh, I hear you. Yeah, I was I was visit we were visiting with some friends of ours the other day, actually it was just yesterday actually. And they were telling us about how they feed their goats grain. I want to make sure my wife can hear this, make sure if I'm not wrong, uh, in the morning. And they only get grain in the morning, not at night. And their kids generally kid right in the afternoon. I tried that last year and I did not have the same results. Yeah. So I went back to evenings because it's it's easier for me to feed them in the evening than in the morning. I mean, your goats probably have sprawling pastures and just roam the hillsides of Maryland. And- <laughs> no, they 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 pretty much stay in the barn area. That, yeah, <laughs> sprawling. I, I've seen those studies that talk about you know making it so that your does never kid during the night. But I, I think even if I felt like that that worked, and I'm not saying it does or it doesn't work, I still would be nervous enough that I would check on them through the night. I don't think it would change that. So Yes, correct. I, I, I agree with you. The cameras are nice, but, I mean, they're not they're, – they're only as good as if you can see them or if you're awake to check them. Right. And blind spots drive you nuts because then you think, well, I think I hear something going on. So then you go out there and you look and what you're hearing is just, I don't know, goat fighting or goats are, they're just noisy little critters, you know, even during the night you get those hummers and no, your, your goats are noisy. Yes. Oh, mine are so quiet. 
Yeah, but you have Oberhasli. I know they're so peaceful, and it's you don't even know they're here. <laughs> I we had one heat the other day, and I was talking to my dad while I was out there, and she's like, he's like, what the hell is going on in your barn? Like, do you have one that's just like dying? And I was like, no, we have a goat in heat, and we're <laughs> and we're gonna do some 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 advanced repro tech on her. So <laughs> she was away from food, water, friends, and also in heat. She was quite loud. Yeah, that's mean. They don't like that, Cameron. That's not that's not conducive to happy she goats. Could, she could see her friends, and unfortunately, it was the goat that Jason was going to be able to show at nationals. And unfortunately, Jason, for for you, it looks like you're not going to have to get your whites on for her at least. Uh, well, that makes me sad. I <laughs> wanted to show her. <laughs> yeah, she said she said she said to, but that's okay. Um, other than that, got some research trials going on here that we're doing here. Um, and then I think that's it. More news to come on some stuff that I'm working on, but that'll come in due time. Cool. Fun, fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you two have experienced kidding already. You guys should be fully prepared and ready for every question I fire at you two for the kidding podcast. Correct? Sure. Uh-huh. Um, sure. <laughs> I, I think Cameron, I think this is a good time to, uh, to make a caveat about this episode. Yes. Our, you know, your mileage may vary. So I, I feel like that, you know, we are sharing things that have worked for us or things that we think you might consider trying or, or just things that we found, huh, that's kind of cool. But we're not the be all end all. I mean, and, and especially when it comes to veterinarian type stuff, I mean, you have a resident vet, but, you know, I would also say rely on the good relationship that you should have established with your local veterinarian for specific things like drug dosages and, and, you know, drug protocols, because again, your mileage may vary. Absolutely, Absolutely on that there. And again, if you haven't established a relationship with your local veterinarian, um, please, please, please go ahead and do that. The likelihood of these veterinarians coming out um, when it's two o'clock in the morning and they don't even know who the heck you are um, is, is very slim. These people are stretched thin as it is. So remember, it is so important to have that relationship with that veterinarian. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's kind of dig into it here on that. I like to start with the first question. And I asked this last year and I think I asked the previous year. So this is the, I do believe the third time we've done this episode. The question is, what did you learn in 2013 or 2023 that you're going to carry with you into 2024? Laura, why don't you go ahead? Yeah. So what I learned is uh, don't rush Mother Nature. I learned really to be better about keeping my hands out and, you know, um, the word obstetrics means to stand by upstairs means to stand by. And so I'm trying to be a good obstetrics goat giver and stand by, you know, be there if there's a problem, but otherwise let, let the doe do her own work. Don't go in and fish kids out unless you absolutely have to, um, you know, do things, do things that way. But I also have gotten more comfortable with, 
inducing when I need to, to make sure that I can be there to stand aside and let the doe do the work versus, um, you know, rushing back home because there's something really awful going on. So that's, those are the lessons I learned from last year. Excellent. Jason, this was, this is your second kidding season on the farm. It's my third. What do you got? Oh, it's your third. Third. I apologize. Um, well, I actually, when I first got this question, the first thing that came to my mind is pretty much echoing what Laura said about having patience and not having to go in on everything. Because I just remember like last year, I'd see a head and I'd be like, okay, she's coming. As soon as she pushes, I'm going to pull on that. And I'm like, wait, I don't need to do that. She's fine. She's not stressed. She's just going through. Just let her do her thing. So, and that's what I kind of did this year and on my first two kiddings and everything went, has gone smoothly so far. And I just needed to, the thing I learned is be patient. You don't have to go in if you, you know, unless it's necessary. Um, And the second thing that I, I actually learned is, you know, early prep is important. And so making sure that I'm, um, you know, watching them as they're getting ready into that final month, um, making sure that their um, feed is, is appropriate for them. And um, then hopefully if you're taking care of them that way, then you'll have a pretty easy kidding season. So I've been pretty lucky for the most part um, that I haven't had too much go wrong. So um, those are the things that I've learned so far. Gotcha. Cameron. What about you? Yeah. Oh, my thing is, is I learned and I retaught myself how to start pan feeding at a young age. Um, traditionally with my dad and when we did it with him is he started them on a bottle. Um, but pan feeding to start is one of the most stressful, scary, just, just, it's just hard. But getting them that really good start and teaching them really well how to pan feed really sets them up for success later on. So um, just being patient with the babies when you're first feeding them and reteaching myself that it's okay to be frustrated with them because, by golly, they don't know what the heck's going on. They were in a nice, tight, warm place, and then all of a sudden they were just, just thrown out into the world. Just learning to be patient was kind of the big thing, especially with the younger kids. And, you know, they're just first time they're pan feeding or first time that they're trying to get a bottle or something like that. Like it's important to just give yourself some patience and then say, Hey, you know, give yourself a little grace too with that. Maybe they don't eat, you know, a full, a full bottle and they're not super aggressive saying it's not your fault. You're doing the best job you can as their caretaker human being there on that. And then not being afraid to throw the white flag in the air and be like, hey, I'm going to need a tomb feed this kid. And then we had a whole lot of experience with that. And it's okay to tomb feed a kid if they started out and get it figured out there. So um, I'm just going to make this comment. I still have not had to have to feed tube feed a kid yet. Yeah, I, I know. I know it's probably coming. And okay, so I mean, I've like tube fed human babies. So I know it can't be that difficult. I just knock on wood have been really lucky and haven't had to do it yet. So I have not either. It's scary at first. It really is. 
because you're afraid that it's going to go down the wrong hole. Right. Yeah. I can uh, see that. And my wife is in the other room and she's like, nah, it's not that bad. <laughs> well, I would rather do a human than a goat. So, you know, that, I think it just comes down to what you're more comfortable with, you know? Yeah. I will tell you, I practiced, I didn't practice, I mean, I was forced practice, but it was more on uh, first freshener or butt kids that are first fresheners for a great practice tool for that. Oh, I'll think about that. Okay. And I'm not saying to tube every single first freshman or butt kid out of your first freshener, but right. if, if you, if you've got to practice on one, you better do it. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense to me. Okay. Hmm. So, huh. Okay. So let's, let's jump in and talk about preparation because, you know, Jason had already mentioned that he lets his, um, not fresh yet does up on the stand to, to start them feeding. What other things are things that you can do to prepare your does for kidding? Uh, for me, for me, I just, the main thing that I am, I'm doing is like probably about the, well, I've this year I did it a little bit earlier than like a month for my um, yearlings that are upcoming um, get, cause I want to get them prepared for that stand. So I've, I've just kind of been bringing them in once a day and letting them eat their, a little bit of grain to try to get them up on that stand. And they're doing fantastic with that. And, and at the same time, I'm also like just kind of touching their udder area so that they're getting used to that feeling. Um, and uh, I did that same thing last year. And, and then once they started milking, I didn't have a single dough that was kicking. So I'm going to knock on wood and hope that that's a continuing pattern. Um, and then uh, like some of the other things that I just get ready, like I'm, I'm ordering a lot of things just to, you know, prep to get when the kids start coming. Um, but I don't do a ton of extra things. Um, I'm very much a minimalist in, in my approach and I, I trust them and, and making sure that you know, if they need something, they're kind of letting me know by their behaviors and stuff like that. But um, I don't do a ton. If that makes do you sense. give vaccine like pre kidding vaccines? I do. Huh? Yes. Yeah. I, I do give a CDT shot um, a month before they kid. Um, this year I had an interest. In, so this year I, I pen bred um, my dry doughs, which I will never, ever, ever do again. Um, because I don't know when um, two of them are bred because I didn't see them come into heat or anything um, in the pen. Um, so I just kind of, for that one, I was like, okay, I put you in this month. So I'm going to give you your shot at, th at this time and hope that it's good. So um, that was a learning lesson. So if you are, were to ask me next year, what was something I learned in 2024? That's something I'm going to say. <laughs> so, yeah, that wasn't a smart decision on my part. Yeah, I inadvertently had two does that were pinbred, a.k.a. everybody else was coming in heat. And I'm like, I don't know that I've seen either one of these does in heat. And uh, I ultrasounded them and, huh, yeah, it's because they're both bred. So, um, anyway, I had a short window of time when I knew that they were bred and I, um, had a buck that I knew had gotten out. So, you know, 
we figured it, but I'm kind of like you. I don't like having indefinite breeding dates on that. So I do the same thing about a month before they're due. They all get their CD and T shots. Um, I, um, you know, take, take a look at their body condition and decide if they need some extra goodies on the milk stand or if they're okay, you know, getting green with the rest of their due group, I call them. Um, and just, yeah, just make sure that they're ready to go. I bikini clip and them at that time. So same. Yeah. Same. And then I also, um, about, uh, I, I, um, at the very beginning of this year, I, I draw blood to send it in for CAE testing before they're freshening, um, you know, to make sure. Yep. We do that too. So, so we, we don't do that mostly because it's a lot of blood and that's a lot of test tubes and that's a lot of time. Uh, and we, we spend a lot of time uh, with the ultrasound machine instead, looking at babies and doing fetal counts and all sorts of stuff on that. So we got a giant pool of how many we think are in there. And then I like to compare and contrast. And we spend a lot of that, I would say, December, January time, if we're kidding in February, starting kidding in February, doing those extra fetal counts and just making sure everything's okay in there. Um Kind of got some news the other day that there were a couple of cases of Cash Valley virus popping up in our area. So um, kind of being a little bit more diligent about, you know, looking at those fetuses, making sure we see heartbeats, all sorts of stuff there, especially um, with hearing that couple herds of Cash Valley virus around. So um, very, very cognizant of that. And then, um, like you guys did the CDNT, we do that a month before. We also go in with multi-min as well and do that um and the multi-man works pretty well that's my probably my wife's favorite um bolster of choice as a supplemental to like a mineral program there um and then um again we do but we will wait a couple weeks in order to do the trims as well uh but we might do a trim up like i did a trim up of a couple kids or like first fresheners just watch their udders come in there on that but we uh we bikini clipped them about seven days out well, yeah, the only reason why I bikini clip that early is, you know, because, yeah, I like to see that little developing udder. And especially on the on the first fresh turns, I'm like, ooh, or uh, I'm not sure on this. So, yeah. I'm, I'm still having a hard time remembering which tog is which. And I repeatedly go to the ear. I feel like Jason might have that problem sometimes. Um, uh, but I I – just yeah sometimes and um sometimes. because they're like changing so much like i don't like looking at earlings now but they change so frequently like one week they're you know the ugly that thing the next you're like oh you might stay this year you're looking spicy now um and, and so i i clipped up a couple of the udders as well just to kind of watch and kind of see them there on that and there's some i'm excited about and there's some i'm less excited about well that, that's part of the reason why i um on my dry does, I put different color collars on each one of them so that I know which one's which sometimes. <laughs> Smart idea. Wow. That's a good one. Maybe I need to do, maybe I need to do that. Gosh, yeah. yes. I, ju- I just buy a box from, from the Dollar Tree and I get it shipped to me and then mm-hmm. they, have a, they send you a, an assortment of colors. Oh, okay. We need to find a local Dollar Tree then. You can do it online. And they just so uh, well they I think you can have it shipped to you or it's shipped to the local one for free. Oh. 
Now that is spicy. That's really a cool idea. Good idea, Jason. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Jason and Laura, when you have some goats that are kind of getting close to kidding, but they're doing the waddle, as I call it there, um, do you guys watch them at all a little bit? Or, you know, kind of, do you, what do you guys do there if you're seeing things and you're like, you're not as perky as you once were type thing? Yeah, I, I for me, I, I mean, I'm watching them as as soon as I know that they're in their final month. I'm like, uh, I'm a little overprotective of of how much I'm watching them, and I'm just uh, and if I do have one that is like, for instance, the one that kitted yesterday, and last year I didn't. Um, she did the same exact thing. Like that last two weeks, she would she wouldn't jump up on the milk stand, and like she was just acting a little bit weird. Um, and so I just made sure like I would, um, give her some, uh, I, I kind of just give her a little bit of extra like water with some molasses in it. And then I just to kind of give her that perk up because I try not to do as any medications as much if, unless it's desperately needed. And, um, and you, and then I also, I, I kind of let her eat where she wants to eat. Um, <laughs> during that last few, two weeks, but then the next, you know, after she kids, she's fine. Um, but I, I'm always watching them to make sure if any, anything comes up, but I try not to use medications if possible. You know, I, over the years I've bought all kinds of stuff, you know, like CMPK gel, um, um, red cell, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I have all those. I do too, <laughs> but I don't find that I use them. Um, a couple of years ago, I bought one of those blood glucose monitors because I, I did have one doe that um, I think she got really hypoglycemic when I took her to the vet. She was like, yeah, let's give her some, let's give her some, you know, sugar stuff. Let's get her going, you know. So I was always worried about that, but honestly, I don't use them because kind of like Jason, I'm, I'm kind of watching them like a hawk during that last, you know, three, three, two to three weeks of pregnancy um, for those ones that just aren't at the feed bunk, aren't eating hay like they were, aren't um, just don't act like them, their normal selves. And, and at that point, you know, of course I always look, you know, do they, are they running a temperature? Um what yeah. do their feet look like? Cause I, I do I try not to trim feet during the last couple of months of pregnancy. Um, but sometimes the does need it in, um, you know, they may, they may have picked up a stone or it's been so wet and then really cold here. And then the ground got frozen really hard and it was hard on their feet. So I, I think sometimes they get bruised on their feet or have some foot problems. So I try to watch that too, but, um, yeah, I don't really have anything. I, I don't drench them with stuff or, I, I just have stuff to scare off the bad stuff if I need it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We have the ketone monitors there on that. And I only know we have that because last year I actually sat down in the basement one day and I went through all of the stuff that my uh, in-laws had uh, accrued at our house. As I call it there. So pretty much a lot of the kids stuff just came to our house and I found the ketone uh, monitor and the strips as well. Now we haven't had to use it in a while, uh, or actually, we haven't ever had to use it. Um, and generally, when we measure ketones, we're, we're doing pretty good on that. So we have one of those, and we have that in case we would need it there on that. 
We also, if you do have a, a prescription from your veterinarian, we have um, calcium uh, carbonate and no, not carbonate. Um, it's, it's basically an IV bottle as well. So if they need immediate, you know, calcium or uh, sugars in the body, we can give that IV as well there on that. Again, if your veterinarian writes you a prescription or you can get it from your veterinarian um, on that, so we can deliver that quickly. Uh, I like propylene glycol as well. There is my water there on that. Um, my wife is texting me telling me she uses the ketone monitor sometimes on that as well um, to watch those. But we've got one that, like uh, you guys talked about is a little not enough room in the belly as well there. And she's actually one of my Alpine recips. So um, she is carrying Alpine kids and she's a Toggenberg. And I'm guessing those uh, holy and holy babies are a little too big for her. So um, they are uh, making her a little uncomfortable. So she lives outside the pen. Okay. My wife has a couple of corrections like I thought she would. Products like dextrose and calcium gluconate are not script items. So you can get those um, as well. So. Oh, that's good to know. But I don't. Yeah. Yes. But I don't suggest everyone just go buy that unless you, you feel comfortable and make sure that you properly know how to use it. Yeah, I was just going to say, that's another one of those things that just because you can buy them, if you're not comfortable with knowing when to use them and how to use them, again, you want to have your vet there because if things continue to go south, um, you know, your, your vet, you want your vet to be comfortable with what protocols you're using as far as taking care of your animals. And that's, that's, you know, really that, meaning behind that good veterinary relationship is that you guys are working in partnership for the better health of your herd. Yep. Yep. So that's just some extra things there, but I agree on the hoof trimming facts. Don't ever, I, I mean, I looked at a goat, my wife looked at a goat today and thought, man, you really need your hoofs trimmed. And I said, no, like let's not be doing that. So uh, we're going to wait a little bit as well there. So, well, and I think, you know, sometimes too, you'll get does and, and, and I think there are some special circumstance does too. Like when you have does who are elderly does, I'm talking, you know, eight, nine, 10 year olds that, that, you know, you look at them, maybe their body condition is low. Maybe they're carrying, um, you know, triplets or quads and, and you notice that she's thin. She acts like her feet hurt. You put your hand around their feet and they're, they're hot. I, I don't know if you guys have experienced that, that, you know, the does that kind of seem swollen in their feet and they're hot and they're not moving around. Those are the does that you really need to give that extra attention to and watch them and make sure that, you know, you're able to help them get through the end of pregnancy, deliver healthy kids, but don't lose the mom either. Yeah. Really watching those feet and legs, especially if they're walking really gingerly on them, or if you hear just a little, little, um, unfamiliar creak to the bones there on that when they get up and move you know how you you get up sometimes and you just feel things just kind of snap into place you hear that on a goat that's usually not good so um just kind of watch and listen for that there one thing we've also tried to use a little bit of is meloxicam just to help manage some of that um pain in those joints from them just moving around because they're so pregnant so how is meloxicam given to the goats and and yeah, so meloxicam, we do we give it in a pill form. Okay, we just mix it with a little grain, and that's just it's just like a Smarties to them almost. Cool, and that's is that you need a prescription for that, right? Hold on, let me verify okay. that. We will come back to that. Okay. Yes, we are going to come back oh, to that. Boy. I just texted my wife; she is in the other room. She could not hear that. So. Okay. So. 
So, um, do you have, do you guys have a kidding kit? Like something that you either keep in the barn or you grab on the way out there or. I personally don't have like a, a box that I keep there. My, my, my barn is only like an 150 feet from my, um, house. So I have it in my basement. I just keep all of any medical supplies and stuff like that, but I just keep on hand. I have gloves that are ready. Um, I have a kid puller, uh, and it, it, lots and lots of towels. I'm very thankful that at, at my school, I, I, I tell my, my kids here all about my, my goats and all of that thing. And then I always put out a little in my newsletter. I'm like, if you have any towels that you're getting rid of, please send them in with your kid. And so that I can have them. So I end up with tons and tons of towels, um, to help, you know, clean those up. But, um, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Want to circle back on the meloxicam here. It is prescription only, and it's just kind of like a banamine, um, just a little, probably not as strong as a banamine there on that. So remember, again, that is a scripted item you need to get from your okay. veterinarian. Good um, to know. Yes, good to yeah. know. Um, but I, I, a couple of weird things that we've kind of added into our kidding kit this year, uh, because my wife is a veterinarian, we did have to go buy all the stuff for if we would need to do a C-section um, because my wife is my vet. Oftentimes we don't have a VCPR with a local vet, with a local vet in the area. So um, because of that, we need to have all the supplies that we would need around. So we just went and bought all of those supplies for the farm. But uh, the, the $20 items that you oh, need good. tend to stack up and your cart gets very full and very high very quickly. So I am going to give a plug to somebody that we've plugged in past episodes Mm -hmm. but one of my favorite things in my kids kidding kit that i don't have to use very often is my kelly's kid puller Mm -hmm. um there are lots of kid pullers on the market but i can say Mm -hmm. i've probably tried them all and the kelly's is by far my very favorite it is an indispensable piece of equipment i mean it just it really does work well. So if you don't have one of those, order one because you'll you'll be thankful when you have to use it. And Jason, have you ever had to use one of those? One of those? I have not had to use one. Um, so that's a good thing. I, I'm I've been very lucky. And Laura, how many times did you use it last year? Uh, twice. Oh. Yeah. Have you had to use one? Uh, I think we probably used it four or five times last year. Yeah. I mean, they're just not not great, but, uh, yeah, they work really well when you have to have them, at least you've got them there. So absolutely. Um, let's, let's address the elephant in the room and Jason, you hinted on it, that you don't induce and Laura, you try not to induce. And then Cameron is team induce, induce, induce. Well, let me back up. I, I, Induce when I am absolutely 150% sure on my due dates Mm -hmm. because I have induced before when I wasn't and it did not turn out. Correct. And and I'm going to throw in that I'm not opposed to inducing. I just have not done so. Gotcha. Um, I, I have the, I have all the things to do so. I just have not done so. Gotcha. Um, I don't know if I'm just too nervous to do it or, um, 
or what have you, but I, I have a feeling that in the, in the future, I probably will so that I can get them to kid when I know I'm home because sometimes I'll be at school and I'll be like, I know she's going to kid today and I want to be there, but I, I don't have the days to take off. So. Gotcha. So I'm sure it'll be coming. And once I feel more comfortable, I think I'll be good. Well, you know, I think, I think one thing is you talk about inductions. I, I think people think that always, um, nature knows best and and it's best never to induce. And I don't think you can say that because I do know of situations where a doe should have been induced. And I, I talked with a breeder a few years, a couple of years ago that said, well, yeah, she was like almost 10 days overdue. And when, when they, when she finally kidded, it was this huge single buck kid had a terrible time getting out. I don't think it was a great, I don't think it was a great situation there. And and I'm thinking, okay, in cases like that, there was something going on that was, you know, whether, whether the placenta wasn't in good shape or whatever makes a goat go into, to deliver, this wasn't happening with this goat. And this turned out in a, in a bad way. So I really feel like that there are some times where you have to use that tool in your toolbox and realize, okay, this, this is a time when I need to get this kids out. And especially if you have a doe who's in bad shape and maybe she's got toxemia symptoms or, or whatever, you have to balance that need to get this doe delivered and the viability of the kids. So I do think that it's a tool that should be in your toolbox. And also if you have a job or a life uh, life issues that means either you're not going to be able to be with that doe or you're going you or you can be again inducing is definitely a tool that can benefit that doe i think i don't think it's always a bad thing to think about inducing no i don't either yes and 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 i've seen tons of people i mean cameron and i mean brandy and a whole bunch of other people that do um, using, um, or do induce and have great success with it. So, I mean, I'll get there. It's, it's, (laughs) it's more of a, when you have other things outside of your goat atmosphere or ecosystem that you can't control job, family, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like you do your best to make sure that your goat world doesn't coincide with your professional career. And Jason, I I saw my dad, I saw my dad and him being a teacher all those years. And, you know, uh, if it wasn't for somebody at the house, my grandfather, my grandmother, you know, um, me, if we were on spring break there, like uh, taking care of those goats. And then I saw towards the tail end of his career where he figured out how to induce goats, how much easier that made his professional life. Um, it, it just seemed to make a lot more sense. And then my wife and I have different, very demanding careers as well there. So being able to induce is, is a lifesaver if you know how to do it properly. Absolutely. No, I was, I was just going to say that. I, I mean, like I said, I'm, I probably will start doing it once I feel a little more confident and talk, like you said, making sure you're doing it correctly and making sure that you're getting, giving the right dosages of things. Um, yeah. And Laura, what is, what is your protocol for inducing? So for inductions in my herd, I always do it within like, let's say that they're due on Wednesday. 
I could induce them the Saturday before, but I don't go more than than probably six days. If if it's that close, I'll just go ahead and let them go on the weekend and induce them to kit it, you know, on the weekend. Um, I use a combination yep. of yep. dexamethasone and lutelice. I don't always use dex, but usually I use dex. I found that that in in my herd, it seems like when I use dex, it shuts the window down a little bit closer, you know, usually to that 30 to 36 hour mark after you do it. So um, that's what we do. Uh, we use the same thing where it's, and we'll probably go a little heavier on the decks. I, I will tell you that my wife loves it. it that's probably one of her go-tos is dexamethasone, especially this time of year on that. And she'll call me out for it, but I, I know that she's probably one of the most frequently used um, uh, products on our farm. Uh, especially this time of year, and we might go with a little heavier deck, especially if we're uh, inducing earlier, uh, getting closer to that 143 time as compared to that closer to 146 day that you're looking at that there on that, um, just to help stimulate lung um, stimulation in the kid. Yeah, and I think especially if you're inducing because of health concerns with the mom, I think that is really important. I think you know, getting that, getting those steroids on board for, for that lung maturity in the babies is really important. If you're, if you're inducing closer to, um, you know, the, the day that they're, they're due, I don't know that it's, that is important. I don't know. Maybe it is, but, um, yeah. So last, last year when we had those, we had some preemies born on our farm. I don't know if Laura, you remembered that or not, but we had these preemies that we had a little box and we, yeah, I remember. My, yeah, I was talking with my aunt, my uh, parents and like, I was told them that they met grandma and grandpa. <laughs> um, but, um, and they ended up not making it, but the, the read the theory that we have is why they're still alive. Um, you know, was the fact that we had dexamethasone on board when she basically just ejected the fetus in that. That was, that was the theory that we created in our mind. Now, I don't know if it's right. I don't know if it's wrong. Again, I'm not a veterinarian, but that's, that's some of our theory of why they stayed, stayed around as long as they did. Oh, mm-hmm. sweet little babies. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, they're twin does. And it's, you know, it's always twin does that bad things happen to. Not always. I mean, not yeah, always. Because right. I had two that were born, you know, almost 10 days early and they're, they're thriving. They're, they're two thriving, beautiful oh, babies. Good. <laughs> they're little though, but they're, they're thriving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That always makes you feel good. I, I will tell, yeah. I will tell you people that we induce for weekends uh, for the bulk of our goats. But well, we like to keep it in that three to five day window there, closer to three than, than to five, if we can help it. Um, but the earliest signs that, that we like to induce, yeah. if they're showing presence, that makes sense. Is 143. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But again, keeping it closer to 150 there, but getting them started on the weekends just really works for us. And I, I like I talked about in the beginning here, I think. If you get your kids started on the right foot with the proper amount of colostrum there, um, then, then you're really setting them up to be the most successful in life. I also feel like, though, it's important to talk about um, 
some of the myths associated with induction. Like I've had people that will say, well, if you induce, you're going to have a lot more kids that are malpositioned. And I don't feel that that's the case at all. I don't, yeah, I don't feel like there's like a study on that or, you know, I think that's just a, you know, anecdotal evidence would, would say, you know what I'm saying? Right. And and I think it's also based maybe on concerns about um, induction of labor with humans because, you know, it's a different mechanism inducing goats than what it is inducing people. So this is one case where you can't use the same science that goes with people as, as you can with goats. When you give lutalize or estimate, if that's what you're using to induce and to induce a goat, um, you know, the, the same hormonal stuff happens to bring on the induction as it does with natural labor. So your, you know, your animal's body is still going to be ready to go ahead and, and um, have those kids. I don't think, I don't think it's going to be just like it is with people. It's very different from that. You're exactly right there. And I think we have to remember that it's not always boom, 36 hours after I give the shots, those kids are going to be on the ground. We have to remember that like all things like, like breeding, for example, there it is a window of time. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think uh, our listeners might remember that a couple of years ago, I had a doe that absolutely did not respond to lutalize at all to induce her. I tried it on yeah, yeah three that. different, three different times to induce her and it never, it didn't make a difference. And she definitely was bred because she had triplets. <laughs> so um, that was the weirdest yeah. thing that I've ever seen, but yeah. Yeah. I would agree on that. And again, if you choose to do that, that's great. If you don't choose to do that, that's great. You have to find the way. And I think as you mature in your goat project, and I think, Jason, you probably would agree with this here, you you figure out how to do things better. Don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, well, and and you you learn uh, either proper ways to do things that you weren't doing, or you, you learn to trust your gut of what worked for you. In what you're in what you're doing, now, I, boy, I think Jason, your comment of trust your gut also works very well as a segue into the next topic on kidding, which is the actual act of kidding and what you're doing there. Because I think if you've been in goats for a while, you learn very quickly that your gut can really either. Um, tell you, yep, this is going right, or gives you that little nudge in the back of your head. Hey, there's something not right here. There's something going on wrong here. You need to step in and do something here. This doesn't feel right. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And and even I, I, I was thinking back to my answer to earlier about um, what I learned, and even when I was doing that, and I, I reflect back on last year, like, oh, I've got to pull this kid out. Like in my gut, I was like, no, you don't. And so I just need to, you need to just make sure that it, you're paying attention to the animal and what they're doing. Cause like, I think of just last yesterday when I was um, delivering and I, my, my gut was, or my gut was like, just let it be. And my, my mind was like, help her, help her, help her. And I was like, no, no, no. And I didn't help her. She wasn't stressed. I mean, more stress than normal. Um, and, and they came out perfectly fine. So it, it, I, you just have to 
you know, make sure that you're paying attention to your gut and not overthinking things. I think we sometimes overthink and, and I think sometimes a lot of times people pay too much attention to feedback that's given like on social media and it's not always the best feedback. And, um, yeah, just remember, everybody's know. got an opinion, including all three of us. And they're very different opinions. And it doesn't mean that they're right or wrong. And it doesn't mean what I do works for Jason or what Laura does works for me. It's just how we make it all work together. Well, exactly right. Yeah, but I but I do feel like, you know, your animals best. And if there's something that's going south and, and you get that that feeling in the back of your mind that, wow, I think that this is not right. I think that there's a problem here. Don't be afraid to listen to your gut feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, that you know, your animals the best and like, you know, when one is starting to go off or acting a little bit weird and you really need to pay, like say, why is that goat acting a little bit weird during this time? Like, and you know, yeah, yeah, I agree on that. So, getting to the act of kidding, there, I mean, do we all just like to take a chill pill and, and just let them do their thing and then push them out and scoop them up and towel them and take them away and put them under heat lamps? Or, like, what's the, what's the process for everybody? For me, I, um, well, like, I sit out there with them, usually out in the barn. And then um, when the kid is delivered, I let them like lick a little bit off and clean off. And then I bring them, um, I have towels out there with me and I kind of wipe them off a little bit. And then I bring them actually into my basement. And so mine, mine live in my basement for the first couple days. Um, Jason. I just w- want to get this out. You have kids in your basement? I do. Yes. Right now there are four kids in my basement. Um, it, it works for me. And mainly it works for me because uh, during their first uh, couple days, they um, get fed four times a day. And so I am feeding them at, you know, first when I wake up and then I'm very lucky that my roommate, um, she works about six minutes away. So during her lunch break, she comes over, she comes home and she'll feed them at lunchtime. And then I feed them before or right when I get home from work. And then, um, I feed them, uh, right before I go to bed around 10 30, 11 o'clock. So it's easy to go down in the basement rather than put on all of the winter gear and go outside to the barn. Okay. So we're not going to, we're going to make sure the school district doesn't hear that you have kids in your basement. <laughs> well, I have goat kids. Let, let's clarify that. I have goat babies. <laughs> okay. Well, I have goat babies in my kitchen. Yeah. I have, I have kids in my, I start kids in my basement too. So that's, that's what I was getting at there. Well, well, that's what I was going to say. Like, I think a lot of people have some, like they bring them into the house because even when I went and picked up my buck um, two years ago, I went to Kurt Schnipke's house and um, he had, he had just kitted, I think three does and all of the babies were lined up in buck or, you know, 
um, what are they called? Um, storage totes. Yes. And, um, they were just sitting there in the bar or in the kitchen. So I think we all do. Don't judge. <laughs> well, and for me, it's kind of <laughs> like you, I don't want to have to go outside and, and traipse. And I've had baby goats outside before, but they usually stay in the house oh, for the first few days in a pack and play. And I feed them that way. And then we transition them to a pen in our garage uh, that has, you know, warm places for them to snuggle and um, things for them to play on. And they stay in there for quite a while until they get moved outside when the weather's pretty stable and not quite so muddy. And, um, you know, they're well started on the land bar. By the time they move outside, they, they're usually our keeper does. So there's not usually a whole lot of them and we get, get to that point as quickly as we can around here. So, um, but I'm like Jason, I'm, I'm out there in the barn with them, with their kidding. I've got towels out there. They get dried off. I might let the mom, you know, lick around on them for a little bit, but they, they get scooped up and brought inside. Mom gets a, a warm bucket of molasses water, um, or yeah, maybe two, here. but she always gets her molasses water and then gets milked out and gets some grain on the milk stand. And um, usually within a couple of days after that, I'm trimming their feet, um, uh, warming them if I feel like that they need it at that point and uh, making sure that they don't have, you know, lice or anything that's, that's causing issues with them. And uh, just, yeah, transitioning back in, into the whole swing of milking does again. So. We, we started doing something different, actually, than um, we actually milk them out before they kid, and we get that colostrum. And Really? Yes. So a little bit of milk let down, a little bit of unnatural oxytocin, as Laura knows that that's one of my favorites. Um, and I'm not going to tell the oxytocin joke this year because I don't – well, if I don't tell it, it'll let everybody down, but um, – Har har har! That was good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, a little bit of a, like a natural oxytocin let down there, and then it allows us to cook the colostrum and have that already cooked before. So, like, if they're like really hungry and ready to come out and start eating, there we can feed them within the first couple hours. Cool. And so, how early do you milk them, Karen? Um, it it nice. just kind of depends. Just kind of depends. Sometimes. Uh, Generally about two, three-ish hours before um, they kid is what we try to do if they're going to kid during the day. Now, if they kid at night, um, it might be a little bit of a different story. But if they kid, but if it looks like they're going to go during the day, we'll generally have that colostrum already stripped out. Um, and we actually learned that that uh, actually really, really helped. Interesting. Yeah. And then, Jason, how do you cook colostrum, or do you use a powdered colostrum? Yeah, I, I, I'm using um, a, a, the powdered colostrum this year. So, and and Laura, powdered or powdered or um, regular? So I use regular colostrum. I know I've I've got some powdered colostrum on hand if I need it, but I try to bank colostrum every year. Um, especially from those, you know, older does that give that really nice thick yellow pudding colostrum. That's like, you know, no, you know, it's, it, it's uh, probably got all kinds of good antibodies and everything in it. So um, we, we save it and bank it for the next year. So. Gotcha. We, we do the same thing. We've got that fro. We've got a frozen um, 
uh, Ziplocked, but uh, vacuum sealed bag of colostrum from our last goat last year that gave us like half a gallon of colostrum for two little kids who didn't need all that. So um, we've got that all frozen down there and ready to go in case we would need that as well. Yeah, I think it's so important to make sure that they get that first feeding and feeding. And most of our listeners, of course, know that. But for our listeners that are new, don't forget that colostrum is the first thing that those babies need. Yeah, that's that's so important. And proper colostrum intake during the first, I think it's like zero to three to four hours there really ensures setting that uh, goat up properly for um, with the correct antibodies coupled with the proper nutrients of starting that, that natural rumen gut there on that. So important. So then um, do you guys just transition the new fresh does and with the old fresh does and just, you know, twice a day milking, get them on the milk line and go from there. Is there anything you do to bring them, bring their lactation up to the next level or. No, I, um, no, I, I bring them in twice a day. Um, I, I can't do three times a day. I mean, I guess I could if I got up in the middle of the night, but I don't feel like I want to do that. Um, so I, I milk them in the morning and in the evening and, you know, every, all of mine are all together. So, because I don't have the space to separate, you know, milkers from non-milker dogs. Yeah. We, we've got the same thing too. Everybody's in there. Um, what's going to happen here in a couple of weeks is all of our kids, all of our yearlings are going to get dumped into the same pen as our um, uh, two-year-olds. And I think there might be a three-year-old in there. So, um, and when they do that, that's going to be kind of their, Hey, you know, you, you, you got to get used to lifetime thing um, moment. You got to grow up here on that. And they just go right in the milking pen and, and get transitioned that twice a day there on that. Three times a day won't start until I don't know. I don't really want, even want to think about milking three times a day right now because going from zero times a day to three times a day, that just that just hurts my brain. Okay. Well, I want to talk about this just briefly, and I know we're getting close on time, okay. but in people, they know that moms that feed their babies very frequently in the first you know, several weeks of their lactation produce a lot more milk throughout their lactation than moms that do not. Hmm. And so I just wonder how that could, I'm not saying it does, but I'm just wondering how that could translate to lactation in dairy goats. So, you know, like Cameron, and I think a lot of us that have shown at national shows, you know, we'll milk three times a day in preparation for, you know, the big show to increase production. And we do see an increase in production, but I just wonder if you start out a dose lactation, really stimulating that memory system, because we know that, that when that, that milk production is a supply and demand thing. So the more demand that there is, the more supply that there's going to be. And I just wonder if you could milk three times a day at the beginning of a lactation, if you're going to see an increase overall in the amount of, you know, how, how quickly they peak, what they peak at, and then if that could affect the rest of the lactation. Working from home this year, I'm going to see if I can try to do it. I don't know. We'll have to We'll have to see how that goes. But anyway, stay tuned. That may be the thing I learn. 
I'm sorry. I, I would like to see the results. I said I would love to see the results yeah. that you have. So, stay tuned. Yeah, I I can't wait. For, I can't wait for that. There on that. Um, what at what point do you transition kids away from colostrum and you go towards whole milk? Are you asking me? Anybody? Oh, <laughs> I'm like for for me after the for me it's after the um, second day. There. Oh, I have a stink bug in my house. Um, sorry. <laughs> And um, af- after the second day, then they're they're going on to milk for me. Um, and then, are you pasteurizing? Or are you? I I am milk? not pasteurizing. I tried it my first year, and it was I don't have a pasteurizer, um, which is why I'm I'm CAE testing each year, um, twice a year. So I got um, I am not pasteurizing. Okay, and Laura, um, I. They they will get one good day on colostrum. Um, a lot of it depends on what else I've got going, how much colostrum I have, how many kids I have to feed, and so forth. But I, you know, I think I think there's benefit to colostrum, you know, for more than one day. But I know that for sure they need it, you know, for that first twelve hours until their gut starts to close. That's what I think my understanding is on that. So one to two days around here and um, we pool raw milk and we feed raw milk. I don't, we don't pasteurize either. And like Jason, you know, every year before we kid, we always do a whole herd CE test. Um, I, you know, I know that there's lots of pros and cons to doing it different ways. And um, I just know that the straw that would probably break this camel's back as far as, being happy raising dairy goats would be if I had to go back to pasteurizing everything like I've done in the past. And it just, it would take the joy out of having dairy goats to me. I don't really have the time to spend on that. So that's just one thing that, that when I got back into goats this time, I decided, you know, uh, yearly CAE testing. um, If something would turn up positive, making a decision to pull that out of the herd and, uh, feeding raw milk was going to work for me. So doesn't work for everybody. It's not everybody's choice, but that works well for us. Yeah. It's the same with me. I get that. And I'm in the opposite camp of you guys. I cook everything and you know what? I will be honest with you. I probably spend more hours of my day worried about the, is the pasteurizer on or off than anybody because by golly, I've burned up a pasteurizer too well on that. Um, <laughs> and those things aren't cheap anymore. And, you know, people have said, hey, you can use a turkey fryer instead of a, a pasteurizer. It works great sometimes. But again, we uh, currently have the wick canner and it, it works well. Um, but good golly, I, I've spent a lot of hours pasteurizing and I know the sacrifice that it takes to um, run a CAE prevention program. And it's not fun. And I, I empathize with everybody out there that that does that and i understand that um but and we do the same we do the same thing to run a ca prevention program is we cook all the milk we feed it back and we don't stop cooking until september yeah that is that is a huge dedication of time that i just yeah as i said that would be the straw that would break this camel's back <laughs> i just don't think i can do it i mean that would that was for me what kind of after my first year is that I, I was do. I used a sous vide to to um, mm-hmm. pasteurize, and 
I would be pasteurizing until like 1130 at night um, in between. And I'm like, I just, I can't sustain this for me at doing it all by myself. So for me, it didn't work, um, which is why I went to CAE testing and pulling those that if they were to go positive, which I haven't had that experience yet. Yeah, so. no, it's, it's not for everybody there on that. I, I will be the first one to admit that. Um, and it is a little bit different as well. Um, and everybody does things a little bit different. And I think we've made that very apparent on this podcast there on that, but it's, it's kind of the, the sacrifice that you, you make in order to, to run the CAE prevention program on your farm for your customers. So, yeah, I mean, everybody does it different. I don't think there's a wrong way to raise kids. I, I mean, I, there's definitely a wrong way to raise kids, excuse me. Um, but you've got to find a system that works for you on that. And I know a lot of people that use like a milk replacer or something like, or use raw milk as well there. And a lot of my commercial friends will use that milk replacer. Uh, one last question yep. here on kidding. And then I want to get to question and answer because we've got some people that said they wanted to do it. And we've got some questions and I've got one specifically for Jason. Um, it's fine. Uh, when do you, um, introduce uh pellet pelleted feed or any type of feed to your kids um for me uh introducing i i'm introducing hay like when when they my kids actually are gonna go out into the barn um tomorrow so they're gonna be introduced to it after the first week um i don't expect them to to do much with it but they're gonna for hay they're gonna be um introduced to that and then i'm just gonna probably i I don't have like a specific time frame when I start introducing grain. I just kind of watch where what they're doing and and kind of say, okay, they're ready. They're they're ready to start, you know, experiencing it. But usually um, within that, like probably around that first month, is they're going to be introduced to it. For me, that's how we do it too. Um, you know, definitely they've got some leafy hay out just as soon as they start showing some interest in nibbling on it. And that's like week one, week two, when they get moved out of the house into the garage, we've got hay for them to mess with. I try to add um, a a kid feed that has um, a coccidia prevention in it fairly early because I'd like to get them onto that quicker than having to treat them otherwise. So um, usually by, I don't know, week three, they're munching on, on, you know, that feed that's, they don't take in great quantities of it, but they start messing with it. So, um, you know, we try to do that as quick as we can. And the good, like for me, the good, one of the good things is that my kid pen, I guess I would call it in the barn is, is like a part of the main dough barn. So, um, they're seeing all of the adults do it. So they're kind of mimicking that. So it helps them to, to, you know, kickstart that room and get it going and, and eating that hay. Cameron, what do you do? Um, well, I like to start hay about yeah. two ish weeks or generally whenever they get out to the pen. So I find that you, it always works well when your, your first group's always your test group and we always keep paying that pen, but, Kind of when those March kids roll in and the goats start to get mingled there, there's always just hay out in that pen, if that makes sense, um, to kind of keep them there going. Grain, we try to introduce or just kind of get them to learn to play with it as well there at about 
10 to 15 days, so two weeks-ish there on that. And then we always start with a, a different grain um, with, that has the, uh, I call it the teal bag program. Um, when we get it from Vita Plus to the teal bag, I just tell people, go get the teal plus. Go get the teal bag, and, and that's that's how you know it's the good stuff there. Um, and we'll start with that this year uh, a little bit differently, about probably two, two 20, 20-ish days. And then we use a different grain for our kids as compared to our uh, regular nice. milk or grain as well. All right, Cameron, let's jump into the question and answer. Okay. I got three questions here and we're running long. So I might only ask two. Um, the first question specifically, this is for Jason. This is a show goat question here. If I take my goats to a show and they won't drink water, what do you recommend that I should do? Should I tube them at the show? Okay. Should I try to alter an alternative source of fluids, i.e. a possible adult beverage? What flavor of truly do you recommend, Jason? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, well, first, if a doe is not drinking at a show, I might be paying attention a little bit more to everything else that's going on because something's happening if that's... If, if you're that worried about that. But um, I may try, like the first thing I've, if they're not drinking, I try something like a, um, a sweetener in it, whether it be a um, like Gatorade or, or an electrolyte or something like that in the water. Um, I'm not opposed to giving them a, a, a adult beverage if, if it will help them to start, you know, building or helping them to drink more. Um, I haven't done that yet, but I also don't carry booze with me to the shows anymore, really, except for when I go to the national show and I'm hanging out with um, the Jedlowskis. But um... (laughs) (laughs) it would drive anybody to drink. Uh, Is that what um... you're saying? (laughs) And honestly, I I like all the Trulies. Um, but only when I'm with, um, again, the Jodlowskis. <laughs> so I, I'm really looking forward to nationals and having a taco and margarita and, and truly night. So I've, I've already got it planned out. I've got the, I'm getting the, the meat for tacos ready, you know, so. I just, I was thinking we could put the, the, cause my, uh, my, I've got a, new uh blackstone i could just fold that up and i could just cook out of my trailer because again it's not an electronic it runs off propane it runs off like a camping stove we could just cook out of the trailer with our unapproved well yeah i'm I'm gonna bring the the ground beef for you the the grass-fed <laughs> ground beef oh you know, goodness oh for, yum you know from a local farm over here and then um, then you can cook oh. it up and we'll have some delicious tacos and margaritas yeah, and we, trulies and we could have we a will. grand old time. It's not a, we could, we will. Um, but back, back to the question, Laura, oh, yeah. what do you like to put in your water in order to get goats to drink? Oh, blue light's always my go-to. Uh-huh. They love have it. Have you ever used Gatorade or anything else? I've used Gatorade, I've used Kool-Aid, but blue light I think works the best. I, I, they yeah, like it too. the best. Yeah. Gotcha. For me, I have a couple options for this person. One, you could take, you could get a nice tank of water and bring that to the goat show. 
Again, not always the most feasible, especially if you're traveling across the country. But it is an option if you're going to like a local show or something like that. Or I've seen people like go to the grocery store if like and bring those big jet like containers, gallon jugs of water, and feed them to their goats because their goats didn't like the water at the fairgrounds there. Um, a little extreme, but but I've seen it happen before, where people just bring their own water from their farm because that's the that's what the goats are used to. So that's number one. Blue light number two. We've used blue light before. We've uh, used Showfresh H2O before. We've used uh, Gomax before as well. And, uh, I didn't believe Gomax was a thing, but um, it still is a thing apparently. So those are a couple things as well. I always try to make sure whatever I'm doing at the house, I do at the show as well. Um, so they kind of know it's a know thing. So if you're going to do blue light at the goat show, uh, don't expect them to drink the blue light unless it's at the house too. So making sure it's consistent across that as well. And then sometimes what we'll actually do is we'll have two buckets out, one of just regular water, one of blue light. Um, that way they have options. So again, that's kind of my thing on that. Well, and, and another thing that if I'm going to a show and, and I know that the water quality isn't the greatest there, I'll also bring one of those RV filters to attach to the hose to kind of filter out some of the not so good stuff. I was just going to say that, Jason, that's, that's just in the bottom of my tack box. We always take it with us. Yep. Just don't leave them. <laughs> it were right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. They get a little pricey when you do that. So ask me how I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question here. This is from Melvin. I enjoy milking my goats once a day for the majority of their lactation. I find the savings in time and ease of finding people to milk on weekends to be worth a lower milk production. I think that very many people would be interested in milking goats if they knew that milking once a day would be fine, as I believe it is with the correct will-to-milk genetics. Why isn't this practice talked about? P.S. Please have Cameron read this product or this uh, this question out, out loud. I would love to hear his explosive reaction. <laughs> I don't think that's – I don't – I don't think that's an an a, a ridiculous option. I mean, I think I think there are probably more people that do it than what talk about it. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And I think that yes, I I do agree that I think more people do it than than what is said. I mean, I don't do that, but yeah, I I, I agree with both of you. I, you know, I just don't think we talk about it. I think it's perfectly fine there on that. Now, I think there are advantages and disadvantages to that. And it depends. What do you want with your goats? Like, if you want to be a homesteader, and it sounds like this person does, really interested and oriented towards family milk. Um, but she wants to do that. I know people that as well that milk once a day of their goats. They milk in the morning. And then in the afternoon, they let their kids dam raise. Our, our friends, the Cockburns, they do that. And it works well for them as well. I've done that before. And then if something comes up and you really can't be around to milk, leave the kids with them. I mean, that's, that's, that has worked well. Would I say it's totally ideal for maximum, um, like herd management for like a show herd or whatever. I don't know that that's the ideal. Right. That's and, what I was going to yeah. say is that for, as a show herd, it wouldn't be as ideal for production, but 
But like you said, with a homestead, that's perfectly fine. I mean, yeah. I, I'm getting um, like after because I'm still on milk test. And so um, I've went to once a day um, for when they were, you know, after show season. Um, and the production did go way down. But it would, they were still giving enough to, you know, produce milk for whatever I was needing yeah, yeah. it for. Yeah, I agree on that. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's, you know, when we think about no. ADGA as a whole, it's not only to promote show goats, but it's also to promote, um, maintain pedigree integrity and then properly store milk records as well there in order to have that. And the commercial dairy person in all of us that, you know, we secretly do, but we don't do it for a living. You know, milks twice a day in order to maximize that production. And I feel like that was kind of brought from our, you know, our cow milkers that have migrated over to the dairy world there as well. And that's kind of what they've thought. Yeah. I, again, I don't, I don't think there should be any like yeah. aghast reactions to that. I think, I think most of us do go down to once a day milking at, at some point in lactations. And, and again, it, it comes down to you do you, there's not, there are lots of right answers. So, yes. Yeah. All right. Last question here. Kind of open-ended, but uh, two-parter here. Uh, it's from Elizabeth S. There was a question from Elizabeth W., but we are not going to ask that today. Um, Elizabeth S. asks, what would you say makes a successful breeder and what makes a successful showman? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough question. That is a tough question. Okay, start. I can start. I can start. Because I've been thinking about this here. Um, what makes a, a, a successful breeder, to me, is however you want to define success. And I know that's very vague for you here. But I was having an interesting conversation with um, somebody that um, I, I consider a, a good friend and, and um, we just talk back and forth about ghosts all the time and, and success is whatever you want to define it. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, when I go to the national show, I want the pretty pottery. I want, you know, I want to be at the top of the class every single time. You know, I want to climb the mountain or, you know, climb the mountain of success and be at the top of the mountain, AKA have a national champion. Like that's, that's his goal. Um, however, you know, I was like, well, I really look at my goal as, you know, I want, I want the, I want the awards as a herd unit. I want premier breeder, premier exhibitor, premier, premier sire. You know, I want those specific awards because I find, you know, my value as a herd unit more important than individual goat successes there. So really, however you define your own success as a breeder there on that, that that's how that's, that's open for interpretation. There. Um, everyone has their own success of that as well. Like, I look at my success is is differently defined than my dad's success, different than Laura's success, different than Jason's success. You know, Jason's Jason might define success as, "Hey, I just want to get to the national show and pray my truck doesn't break down." <laughs> you won't break down this year. It won't happen this year. <laughs> I mean, that will be a success. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> no. I I don't think it'll happen again. But success is how you want to define it as well there. 
Um, maybe it's just getting to the national show. Maybe it's just breeding a goat that places or gets a ribbon at the national show. Or maybe it's, you know, winning a rosette or, you know, I want to go to every goat show and I want to come home with two rosettes or something like that. It's really important to just set your goals um, in order to create some type of success to start. But then also realize that there are things as well that when you climb the top of the mountain, um, then, it, but you have to realize like, hey, you have to either stay at the top of the mountain or you've got to reach for a different mountain peak for lack of a better term. Yeah, I would also say that a successful breeder in my mind is somebody who who has goals that they've set and is making progress every year to that. I mean, I think I think there's a lot to be said for that and not everybody's goals are going to be the same because we all don't start at the same at the same level and in somebody that's always moving forward and, and, you know, getting farther along, there's a lot to be said for that, whether that's in the show ring or it's in a breeding program. I agree. I agree with you. I, I, I personally um, write down goals that I have and because I am a show herd for me, my goals tend to um, uh, circle around showing. So, um, but they're goals that I want, like, like this last year, one of my goals was to win a, um, a first place in a milking class or to have one of my own animals that I've bred to be in the national show milking lineup. And, um, so I, I feel like once I have achieved those goals, then I, I'm, I've been successful for me. So I think it's more of an individual you have to set your own goals and and try to meet those goals. Um, I like to also see consistency within my generations as I'm going. Um, so for me, that to me, that success whether they win in the in the show ring, that's a different story because judges are very different and they have different interpretations sometimes. Um, but I like if I like what I'm seeing, then I feel like I'm being successful. But one of my other goals is to make make sure I take better pictures. So I was not successful on that this year. So that's another goal that I'm going to have this upcoming year. Uh, pictures. <laughs> what about what makes a successful showman? I think making a successful showman is... Number one, understanding the scorecard um, and knowing the showmanship scorecard, even if you are an adult, knowing um, what is expected in that show ring. Um, I've seen, I, I'm not, I'm not the best showman. I, I, especially when I look at nationals and I see some of these people come in and I'm like, why can't I do that and make my dough look that good? But I mean, I think it's knowing your animal and knowing what their highlights are and knowing how to uh, show those parts off when the judge is looking at you. I tried to do that when Cameron was judging. It didn't work out, but I tried. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just joking. (laughs) Jason, you did very well that show. I know. I'm just joking with you. (laughs) um for me a successful showman is being able to take any animal doesn't matter what breed it is doesn't matter how old it is as well being able to show the best advantage 
I think some of the best, I think there is a separation of church and state, though, as I will say, um, because I, I think there are people that are really good at showing juniors, especially kids. And I think there are people that are really good at showing seniors and milkers. And I don't think the paths cross very well, if that makes sense. Oh, interesting. My wife, my wife calls it all the time. She's like, Cameron, I'll give you the best kid, but I'm not going to give you the best milker. She's like, you suck at that. And I'll own it. I'm not, I'm not as good as what she is when it comes to showing the tags. <laughs> so, but she'll, get, she'll gladly give me the best kid. I feel like over the years, I'm, I guess I'm happy to say that my daughters can outshow me. I think I do okay. I, I think um, my daughters are better showmen than I am, especially one of them. And we'll just leave it at that. Oh, they know, <laughs> but I'm not going to say it publicly because I think they all, all three of them do a good job. Madeline will tell you, she doesn't think she shows well, but she does. She does a great job with it. Um, but yeah, one of them, that is like, that is where she really shines. She just does a great job. So, and I think it, it has to do with being confident in the ring. I think, you know, knowing how, where to place the legs and how to set the animal up. And, and like you said, no matter what animal it is, being able to show it to its best, to its best look, you know, what, what makes this animal really shine, being able to evaluate quickly what that animal's highlights are and, and being able to present that to the judge in a way that is not obtrusive, but that definitely gets the judge's attention. I think that's, those are, all marks of a successful showman. I think, yeah, you're right that being able to show any animal, like I judged a show, a 4-H show, um, and they had some showmen that were phenomenal with their animal. And then when you gave them another animal, it was a little more difficult so for them to handle. So it, it was easier to, to see who was the better showman when you, when you had them exchanging an animal um, that was not theirs. Yes. I think that's why we do it. I think it's a good thing. Yes. So deep, deep questions here to end the podcast, but Jason, thanks for joining us this week. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I, I love coming on and talking with you guys. So thank you, Jason. If people wanted to learn more about your beautiful herd of Oberhasley does, uh, where would they go to find out more about what you have? Uh, they can find me on Facebook uh, at Sublime Dairy Goats. Uh, they can find me on Instagram. They can find me on TikTok. Um, they can, um, yeah, those are, and they can also go to my website, which is, um, uh, I don't, I, it's a long address, but if you go to my Facebook page, you can find it there to Perfect. get to my website. Excellent. All right. Well, listeners, thanks for joining us this week. As always, if you liked us, tell a friend. If you didn't, give us some feedback. Tell us what you want to hear about. Don't forget to submit your questions and answers. All of those came from the questions and answers. Even your silly questions we might get to unless more people submit. So just remember that. Yeah. No singing. No requests for singing. The people that made those requests know who you are. We're not singing. <laughs> We look forward to having you join us again on another episode of Goat Gab.